My name is Heldene, and I started this podcast with the aim of opening up some of the wonderful conversations I have with the brilliant people in my life and sharing them with the world. My hope is that others can take as much away from these conversations as I often do. The guests in this podcast series are people I greatly admire and have often learned a great deal from. We'll explore various topics with a different focus on each episode. I've been a volunteer Samaritan for two years now. For those who don't know about the organisation, they are a mental health charity that is focused on supporting anyone in the UK that may need to talk things through while they're going through a hard time, feeling depressed, suicidal, or perhaps just not feeling their best. The last time I checked, I've clocked just over 177 hours of being on shift, with most of those being on the phone with callers. I've learned some great lessons from the calls I've taken, something I hoped for when I chose to volunteer. However, being on the phones has helped me grow in ways that I couldn't foresee when I chose to volunteer. Surprisingly, not every lesson comes from a phone call with someone going through a hard time. A great portion of what I learned came directly from the volunteers who I've been fortunate enough to be on shift with. Folks who are often far more experienced, insightful and emotionally intelligent than I am. One of those volunteers is my friend Fleur, who I have the pleasure of having a conversation with today. Now, Fleur is here today as herself, not a representative of Samaritans in any official format. What we discuss in this podcast will be our individual thoughts and opinions. Nothing that you're about to hear represents the views of the brilliant organisation that is Samaritans. As an organisation, Samaritans goes to great lengths to ensure all of the conversations that happen between volunteers and callers are strictly confidential and that there are no records of the details discussed. With that in mind, no details of any conversations we've had as Samaritans will be discussed in our chat today. Though I can say, personally, I am mesmerised by all the insights that Fleur has to share. Neither Fleur or myself are experts on mental health or anything concerning your mental well-being. What you're about to hear is our opinion and in no way should be treated as professional or expert advice that you should follow. If you need help, please seek a professional. And though I'm proud of my two years and 177 hours, Fleur's experience is the massive sun to my tiny planet Earth. She's been supporting people in the UK for 12 years and has clocked over 2,000 plus hours while doing so and I'm lucky to have her here. Now, although we're both Samaritans, I'd like to focus our chat today on mental health, our individual experience and understanding of it, and how our journeys as volunteers have influenced our perception. Fleur, my, my first question to you is, when did you first come about the concept of mental health? And talk us through the point 
in which it became something that you were aware of? It depends on what you define as your concept of mental health to begin with. Because right. everyone comes across something at some stage in their life that is defined as crazy. You know, parent or family member will say something like, yeah, you know that one? Yeah, they're real crazy. Crazy as hell. Um, and so probably somewhere in early childhood was the first idea or concept of something being categorized as mental health. But I want to I wanna say that I, I actually feel that mental health is a misnomer um, because it's not really mental health. Mental health is, for me, more to do with intellectual IQ. Right. You can be completely compass mentors and able to do arithmetic, um, yet your emotional well-being, mm-hmm. which is what we're talking about, um, you know, not in, in the same functioning capacity. So completely capable of doing lots of intellectual things and functioning very well, which is mental. But so I, I, I put it, the way I describe it in really layman terms and really very simplistically is intellectual stuff happens in the head. Emotional stuff happens heart. And gut instinct is all about stomach. You know, and that's how I explain to people who have no concept whatsoever. So I'm not actually dealing with what happens in the head, even though all the things I've described actually happens within the brain. They're all parts of the brain, different parts of the brain that operate. Um, I, I put it in different areas of the body so people can have a, a visual thing and, and, and separate them out. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to have, like I said, you know, really academic conversation happens in the head. However, what you feel, how you feel about it, that emotional spectrum is all heart stuff. And that's what we deal with at Samaritans. And which is why I think mental health is a misnomer. Right, that, that's really insightful, um, particularly as you as you sort of link it back to the different parts of the body to kind of help almost give give them a visual format. Mm. Um, so linking back to the, the health side of it, and mm. if we think about the point at which someone might decide to, to call Samaritans, and let's say at that point, there's if if you're to treat it as mental health i know you you mentioned it's it's a misnomer but if if someone at that point is feeling very unhealthy Mm. um how do you how do we then understand the spectrum of of what this this mental or emotional intelligence that you're describing at, at which point how does it change how does it fluctuate um and at which points might someone need uh support in that case if it's something that's more related to emotional intelligence than than health perhaps okay so you've asked like half a million questions have, all I in have, one so, okay, I'm, I'm, so i'm i'm gonna just you know roll with it a yeah, little bit because yeah. i know what you like heldeny <laughs> so um okay so something you said it'd be in a spectrum yeah yeah um and at any given point in time you're shifting sliding you know from one end of the spectrum to another, but mostly you're oscillating in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. When mm-hmm. you're when you're functioning healthily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, meaning you're you've got a decent balance going on. Yeah. 
but anything can come along and knock you off of that balance. Now, when I say balance, that doesn't mean that you're 100% perfect and you're, you know, keep on your tippy toes all the time. You're, you're, you know, you you do have mood swings, Mm -hmm. but the mood swings are not exaggerated mood swings Mm -hmm. that then makes you incapacitated to function to, for example, being so low, unable to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or being so high you can't sleep at night Mm. you know which then all these things have further impact on your 24-hour day yeah yeah so i've I've given two kind of examples from one side to the other um and each person is very different if you're normal is that yeah you have problems sleeping all the time Mm. you take that into consideration you know what does being healthier look like for you if all you've ever managed all your life is two hours sleep at a time so incrementally getting healthy might be you're moving towards three hours sleep Mm. for a phase you're moving towards four hours sleep you're moving towards five hours sleep and that hope happens over weeks months years depending on the progress and the healthiness that you could then incorporate in your life because of the healing you go through Am I making sense? You are, you are. Um, and I I really appreciate how you sort of made it very sort of specific to the individual. Um, and in some ways it seemed like something, just like physiological health, mm. that's that's unique to, to each person in, in small ways. So my my following question then is, how can someone begin to understand where they sit on the spectrum and what what is healthy for them if they don't already mm. um i th- well another analogy i use is physical health mm-hmm. you know there's a lot more awareness in this generation in this time about physical health going back two generations you know your grandparents time healthy was that you possibly you know ate for the day because in that time frame, if they've been through a war, if they've been through all sorts, just being able to eat for the day was you're healthy. Um, you know, so so putting it into under all sorts of different prisms within culture, within the society that you live in, all these things, physical health has the, the knowledge around it is a lot more than it was. Mm-hmm. And yet there are some things that even back then people understood um that yeah you needed to eat to yeah, live yeah you know it was it was basic basic knowledge then it's the same thing with emotional health um the knowledge around it is growing there's less stigma around emotional health or you know what everyone calls mental health mm-hmm. um all the all the things that you need within physical health you need that also within emotional health Mm. So if you think about healthy exercise to keep the body working, you know, you you need to have emotional skills that you practice all the time to keep the emotions uh, well-oiled, well-greased, well-lubricated. Right, well, right. well <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you need nutrition. Mm-hmm. You need healthy emotional nourishment, mm-hmm. which takes the form of love connection 
with other people, mm. love and connection with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And lots of people don't even have a concept of these things. Right. Because of their own backgrounds, because of trauma, damage that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that physical health, and I use this analogy a lot, if you've fallen down the stairs and you broke your leg, mm. what would you do? Yeah. You get up and you go to the doctor, you get your leg seen to, and you have a firm understanding that it is going to take time, yeah, for that injury to heal, and it's going to take a lot of attention. So it might be needing to go to the doctors, it might need physiotherapy over months, even years. And sometimes the wound doesn't heal right. It may need to be broken and put back together again. It's the same thing with emotional health. You've been through some kind of emotional trauma and you're going to need support. But people, people can see a broken leg and they can assist you with it. When you've got that broken leg inside mm. where people can't see, no one is, is cognizant that you could be sat in an open plan office of 100 people and yet you are dying inside. You are having an extremely challenging day because mm. you know depression or some recurring thought is going through your head that you just can't get out of mm. um, no one can see that and if you're not in the habit of talking through emotion talking through thoughts yeah you, you're not you're not doing the physical activity you're not doing that emotional activity of exercising that thing and you don't have the skill to yeah And all of these things that I'm talking about in terms of emotion are skills. Right. If you didn't learn it when you were a kid for whatever reason, you don't have it. Mm. But it doesn't mean to say that you can't learn it in the same way that you learn to swim, learn to ride a bike. All of these things are skills. And once you have it, you have it. But then if you stop practicing, you can get very not good at it and fall off the bike if Mm. you've, you know... If you've you've been you've you've not been on the bike for twenty years and you suddenly decide okay today's the day and you jump on right. the bike you are gonna bruise yourself <laughs> yeah just just accept that yeah yeah it's the same thing with emotions if you've if you've compartmentalized them and you've not um, you've not processed them mm-hmm. when you get into the processing guess what you're gonna feel emotionally bruised <laughs> yeah. when yeah. you started start to do it yeah. yeah and in the same way that you might have to um break that leg to reset it Mm. because it didn't heal right you know that's what therapy deep therapy is about in my my understanding anyway is sometimes you need to open up that wound Mm -hmm. and clean out all the decay and all the things that didn't heal right yeah yeah and feel the pain in order for the healing to then happen in a better way than it did the last time right i mean i have so many questions already as as you're probably expecting with me um but i i, I wanted to uh, prioritize so um can, we... can i can i go back for a second because yeah, you asked it. me something the first question about you know when did i come across the concept of and i that's, told you that's kinda... what i was going to go back to <laughs> yeah so great minds held mind. <laughs> great minds um so i told you the concept i had in childhood or you know at some stage as being a young person mm-hmm. right and to be honest that was it that was that was my and then at some point you know young adulthood teenagerhood you have something some kind of idea that 
it's not just that someone is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's something else going on there. But there's a fear. Because of all the things you've heard and all the things you've been told and the way that, in general, people treat mental health issues. And, you know, it's even spoken in that, yeah, they're, they're, they're mental. <laughs> and, you know, all the phys- facial expression yeah. and everything, you know, or that wink or the something. And you're like, yeah. okay, right. So you, you give that anyone put under that category a wide berth mm-hmm. because of fear of the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. And all the stigma around it. Yeah. And that happens even now. With all the knowledge and education, someone says something that you have a negative vibe from. You know, Mm. it might be that in the news, you know, this, this person has left a mental health institute and they're diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and they've stabbed someone Hmm. and that's the only thing that you know about it so anyone who has that they are potentially a murderer right or something like that and yet you're walking alongside and sitting on the bus with lots of people who have the very same diagnosis Hmm. who are managing their mental health or emotional health issues very well Mm. and fully capable of so much and you would never know you know unless for whatever reason on a particular day something has pushed them out of balance yeah but you don't know yeah so where things grew for me is there there was a curiosity so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm yes i'm a very curious person i'm curious about everything and etc and when i got into volunteering with sams um and just to to, to give context on that the, the sams is the short for samaritans, samaritans yeah. yes yeah <laughs> but even even then how i got into sams you know well are we going to that story or not You've got, we've got time we okay. can go into that story okay so i decided like a lot of people that working life mm-hmm. I had, I was earning enough money that I had space and time to do, to have free time. Mm-hmm. I did. I wasn't working every hour of the day. So I thought, you know what? I'm a really good person and I want to make a difference and a change. <laughs> right. You know, right, right. I was going to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do some volunteering. Yeah. yeah. And change the world and do all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I looked up volunteering online and i wasn't really too bothered right yeah i just thought okay here's some charities apply for all of them yeah uh and the first three things that came up was an sbcc rsbca and samaritans mm-hmm. i knew what the other two did yeah. because you know they're all over the i had no idea what samaritans did right none none i applied for all of them and sbcc told me something like they had just taken an intake and there's a year's waiting list. They put me on that waiting list for the following year. Yeah. And I thought, what? I've got a year to wait <laughs> and I have got time to give you. Yeah. Yeah. Then RSBCC said something like, oh, we need dog walkers, uh, but you need to go to the other side of London to to walk the dog. And I'm like, okay. So there's nothing local to me that I can do. I got to go all the way there. And the length of time it takes me to get there is not worth the dog walk because yeah, it's yeah. twice the length of time. <laughs> then Samaritans responded and they were like, your local Samaritans have an info evening 
right in a week's time and i thought bingo yeah so i rocked up did the info session and i was like what the you mean i've got to talk to people who what no uh, <laughs> no you are you not no not me <laughs> that's what i thought yeah, yeah yeah however someone else in my info session said exactly what i was thinking and stormed out and right. i thought oh i can't leave now because i'll be really embarrassed <laughs> so someone else stormed out before you did yes okay and i sat through the info session and as the info session was going i thought oh this is really interesting and what hooked me was this concept of self-determination right i sat there and i listened and i thought i want to find out more what does this mean what does it look like i believe in in empowerment empowering people mm. and that sounded a lot like empowerment to me and just to, to give a bit more context um when you say self-determination what do you mean people have the right to make a choice about their life mm. yeah uh specifically with samaritans if someone decides despite the conversation you're having despite the support that you're giving that they decide that they're going to end their life Mm. that we as Samaritans are accepting of their choice. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd never come across anything like this. Mm -hmm. N certainly not in an institution. Right. Um, that complete 100% concept of self-determination and empowerment. And I thought, okay, here's what. I'm going to do the course... But then once I've done the course and I've found out all the stuff, I'm going to leave. <laughs> You're going to take all the trade I'm secrets. I'm going to take all the knowledge, <laughs> yeah. all the training, you know, and because I really can't do that. I mean, I've got no, yeah, I can't deal with people who need that kind of help. No, I really can't. You know, I, it's not in me. Yeah. I did the course and I thought, hmm, you know what? I'm just going to, see what it's like to do a shift mm -hmm. because it's some yeah i just I, curiosity yeah and it's curiosity that killed this cat <laughs> all right i'm just gonna go on and then i'm going to leave because i really can't and and as you get involved and what i got out of those first few calls is something is a privilege mm -hmm. and it's very grounding when it's a sacred space when someone is sharing with you things that they don't even share with their closest loved ones sometimes because they don't want to hurt that person yeah but they're sharing with a complete stranger anonymously mm -hmm. and you're sat in that space and every time i had a shift where you know something didn't go right i'd be like right i'm never coming back <laughs> and guess what i'm still here 12 years later <laughs> I'm, I'm always one step away out of the door right but then the, right. the other you know the other leg is just just not quite there yet right right it's interesting that so um i wanted to go back to to something that you touched on earlier um and it was around so linking back to um our conversations around the spectrum understanding where you are you spoke about essentially the point in which you you need a doctor um if you if you've broken your foot mm. 
and the equivalent of of what that looks like and feels like for your mind um thinking about some of the experiences you've had um whilst sort of being on shifts listening mm. to to what you described as some of the most perhaps intimate is not the right word but some of the most deeply personal mm. things that someone has to share mm. that they might not even share with some of the people that they love the most in their lives mm. um what do you how do you think someone might be able to under, better understand when it is that they have that broken foot emotionally or what is that point when someone can identify actually i need to see a doctor and it may be through calling a samaritan or actually seeking therapy what 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 does that look like generally in your opinion in my opinion people already know it right people already know it because a person knows themselves better than anyone else however a coping strategy is denial mm so someone sits in denial because they're not ready to face that pain yet that broken foot as yet they already know that they need help um and uh again my understanding of statistics men are particularly bad at this right men because of societal pressure because of upbringing because of all sorts sit in the space where often they need to be the strong one Mm. they need to be seen to be the strong one um showing any kind of vulnerability is a weakness um and yet someone will know i need help somewhere inside how to go about doing it when you're expected to be the strong one the one everyone turns to the provider the whatever cap you're wearing or whatever identity you're wearing that's the difficulty mm and so if you're putting that into Sam's context what can happen in a conversation is incrementally over the course of a conversation or several conversations uh that person through talking through something they feel supported and there's an empowerment to take action on the thing that they already know right rather than them being told by someone because mm-hmm. that's not what Sam's do we don't tell you to do we don't advise mm-hmm. however we we create an open space it's a blank canvas that you paint on you as the caller mm. so if i okay so another another analogy that i use is the doctors for your broken foot mm. in emotional health they're the therapists yeah yeah whatever form of therapy it takes you know with this deep therapy you know um, i mean and i'm not not certainly not an expert on these things mm-hmm. i i can only give you bits and pieces so whether is you know the really deep stuff like psychoanalysis or surface stuff like cbt cognitive behavioral therapy um they're the doctors they're the professionals and the experts that deal with these things you know the surgeons yeah yeah um but there's all sorts of other health professionals there's paramedics there's nurses etc mm-hmm. all these other kinds of things that uh maybe they may fall under things like support groups mm-hmm. which i think is really important because it's it's 
one part of healing is to be able to see a doctor mm-hmm. who has knowledge, but a, a doctor can't sit in the same space as you with your broken foot. Yeah. Yeah. However, someone who has had a broken foot and has been through that and healed from it, it's really good to sit in that support group with other people who have been through your experience and can share stories, mm. you know, to know that you're not alone. It's not just you. Um, and that's where having that connection with people who've been through stuff is really useful. So when coming back to the question you asked about how can you know, when mm-hmm. do you know, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> right. Some more, more people at a younger age recognize now because of the amount of information there is out there. You know, you can access so much stuff online that young people, you know, teenagers have looked online and found themselves support groups for things like self-harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are proactively got getting out there and sourcing information for themselves. Yeah. And you, there are people who are 18, 90 years, years old who these things never existed in their day. Right. There wasn't any support. So they may struggle with even thinking that there's support. And so they're still carrying their stuff mm. for however many decades and thinking, well, who do I turn to? How can I turn to? No, you know, I just got to grip my teeth and get on with it. Mm. You know, I just need to see, see myself through another day. And yet, you know, whoever it is, they've got younger generations when their family can say, you know, you've got such and such going on. Mm. Why don't you look at such and such? And they suddenly whoa, I can do this. Yeah, I can get round to a group of 90, 80, 90 year olds and I can talk about this thing. Really? Whoa. <laughs> you know, so it comes when it comes yeah. at the time that it comes for yeah. the reason that it comes. Yeah. That I, there's, I don't believe there's any hard and fast answers. I agree. I agree. I agree and I, I understand wholeheartedly. Um, it's interesting. You touched on uh, uh, something I want to say. It's, it's more of a, a bit of a sidetrack on on our topic, but I think it's an important one to still touch on. Uh, you mentioned sort of the the difference in how different generations understand mental health and understand how to seek help as well and mm. support. Um, naturally, the younger generation being a lot more in tune with, let's say, technology and mm. uh, the internet, being able to find answers for themselves is likely been something that they've grown up doing all the time um and having the the initiative to to naturally to just perceive that as almost the first thing to do let me Mm. let me search let me let me try and find um something that i can use to help myself Mm. a youtube video or uh, a forum or a, a number that i can call and I was having a conversation on, on the on the subject of wholesome conversations, given that this is the, the subject of the podcast. Mm. Uh, this was actually a wholesome conversation I was having with a, a friend at work about the responsibility that sometimes the new generation or the, the most recent generation, I don't know what the best way to word it is, has to feedback um, on their learnings and the things they've come to understand and has worked well for them and feed that back into some of the previous generations, whether it be in 
a simple form like educating your parents mm. um, in hopes that they may educate educate their parents or educating your grandparents or educa- educating whichever relatives, friends that are parts of an older generation that don't, don't have the same resources that you do mentally anyway that in, in, in what they understand they can do by themselves and the help that they can find by themselves um, I'm, I'm getting to a question here I promise <laughs> um, I'm going to throw a span in the works but I, I only expect that from you Fleur, so <laughs> that's, that's a good thing um, so yeah my, my question I guess then is um, what and how or maybe how can those that know uh, help others that don't know um, how to seek help understand understand how to do it um, I'm going to throw a span in the works first okay and then I, I'll come to that so here's a span in the works even though the older generation may be less knowledgeable mm-hmm. in finding access through technology and I say maybe I've come across some 90 year olds who are a lot better at IT than I am. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a technophobe. Okay. Previous generations did it in a different way. Right. Okay. So they may not have been therapists. Uh, and even when they were therapists because of the stigma, no one wants to go to a therapist because they're dubbed as crazy. They're seen as crazy by society. So that's the last thing I'm going to do. However, there were other ways of processing, let's say processing um, emotion and learning the skill set of processing emotion. We did it in other ways in different societies and cultures. So, for example, religion. Yeah. If you're looking for the therapist, uh, previous two therapists, as in psychologists, uh, psychotherapists, etc., your priest, pastor, vicar, your guru, your swami, you know, your imam, and places of worship, you know, the entire network around that is where people found solace, where people could go and speak to someone who was independent of family, um, and it being held in a confidential space to a certain extent um obviously depending on the religion depending on the culture etc um there were there's there's disclaimers to that yeah yeah um but even you know even in say a a culture where it is not that type of religion say you know you're you're out somewhere where it's is from you know, certainly in my culture, the the bush doctor, you know, you like this person and you want a spell or you want something to get them to like you, right? Yeah. yeah. Guess what? You go and you see the bush doctor, you know, you want some kind of medicine to to do this and that. Yeah. Yeah. To have that effect. But guess what? When you go there, you have to explain to the the bush shaman doctor, yeah. the bush doctor <laughs> yeah. what the situation is yeah so you talk through all the ins and outs of you know you're you're crushing on this person you want this and in the talking through of that yeah what they give you may be a placebo <laughs> but you've talked through something yeah 
that person's held that space for you to have that talk. Right. Yeah. Where you couldn't tell your mom or your dad or your your close family because maybe they disapprove of your choice. Mm. Yeah. So it's an independent person. Yeah. Who's heard you. And there's so much power in being heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it is relieved that stress. You know, that emotional feeling that then has that knock-on effect in terms of reducing cortisol and adrenaline, all the things that happen in the body when the mind is going round and round and round, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And that relief, say the, the Bush doctor says, okay, you got to come back once a month and I'll give you another set of this, this and this, you know. And so you do. You yeah. visit over two or three months and in that short relief... Things have changed for you because as time goes on, your perception changes. Mm. You know, you've you've had that space held for you, and and that's what happens in in traditionally. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That and I'm I'm only using religion, but it can be other formats. Whether it's a work environment, there are systems of structure that could usually deal with the everyday stresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the everyday traumas that we face as human beings. So older generations have had some of that. The The problem arises when it is not the everyday stuff. Yeah. So something deeper, something more traumatic, you know, going through a war, facing war zones, mm. having that kind of trauma, facing abuse. Yeah. Yeah. These are more than the everyday things. How do you overcome those things? That's where the real problems you know to to really impact so you saying about you know the younger generation um educating the older generation actually the older generation do have some things it is the bit in the understanding is when they have had those things those deep things right those real broken bones that no one can see Mm -hmm. you know coming back from a war yeah and not having that you know, even though you may talk to your priest, your vicar, whoever, that priest and vicar doesn't have the skill set to deal with that deep trauma in yeah. that way. Yeah. Like a therapist might. Mm-hmm. And those are the situations. How do, you, how do you get that knowledge out there? It's all about this, what we're doing, communication. Yeah, yeah. Wholesome conversations. Wholesome conversations. <laughs> um, you said a few things that um, I definitely want to explore. Uh I wanted to, so you said two things I thought were really important. You said, the first one you said was uh, there, there is power uh, in being heard. Mm. And the other, you spoke often as well about someone holding a space for you. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think back to my experience uh, as, a, as a volunteer, uh, training to be a volunteer Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we were constantly sort of reminded that suicide is something that you gradually become a lot more comfortable talking about with others as a volunteer Samaritan. Um, and tough conversations. You, you spoke about self-determination as well, yeah. self-harm, depression, and the various factors revolving around those subjects become familiar territory, um, but never quite easy nonetheless. And I was thinking about some of the things you touched on, the, the, creating the space for someone to feel heard, basically, if, if I combine those two things. Yeah. How has, um, in, in your opinion, 
being a Samaritan influence your your understanding of that or and but also your ability of creating a space in which someone can feel heard what, what would you say are some of the really important things that as an individual you need to bear in mind in order to perhaps in your everyday life with some of the things that you mentioned the the everyday problems that you can create the space how can you create the space as an individual for someone to feel heard so the first part of your question about the understanding hmm. the theoretical understanding is relatively easy you don't know what you know until you know it but once you know it you know it yeah so understanding the theory behind it you know anyone with two brain cells can get that <laughs> seriously right um you know anyone listening to this conversation will will understand that is it, it you're a human being you understand it um the actual moving from the theory to the practice exactly what it says on the tin is the practice right so the training gives you the theory the practice and getting good at it took took for me years right um one because i'm stubborn <laughs> I, I didn't pick that up at all like, uh, I'm, I'm learning yeah, about this for so the first time let me let me just educate you about <laughs> myself so i'm stubborn you know and when i came to sam's remember that i i i felt i knew everything mm -hmm. and nobody else really understood but i did hmm. yeah so i took a lot of convincing yeah but you know it's that curiosity thing that finally got me i had a curiosity of how can i do this better right how can i improve myself so where i rocked up at sam's with you know i'm gonna make a difference mm -hmm. yeah and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it was all about me. Uh, it still is all about me, mm -hmm. but in a different way. Um, I wanted to feel good about myself. Yeah. It's what I understand now. I wanted to feel good about myself by doing something good. Yeah. Um, now, what I get out of it is developing myself for me. Hmm. Um, turning into practice again it's down to the individual if you're quite compliant hmm. and you just practice away as hard as possible all the time you know in the same way that you know when you want to get those sexy abs you know <laughs> you you just get up every morning and you do you know however many sit-ups you need to do when you you go to the gym and you you know you just work out day and night day and night until yeah. you get what it is you want yeah yeah unlike me I want to eat chocolate all day and I want to lay in bed and I'm just hoping that the sexy abs happen somehow, <laughs> right. right? You know, I'm resistant to actually putting in the, the hard work to get the thing. Right. Well, at least I was at the beginning, yeah? And so I reluctantly started going to emotional gym mm. because it's hard. It's hard to look at yourself. It's hard to make changes internal changes external yeah. change i'm not talking about mm -hmm. those internal changes of what will it really take to be an active listener mm. i felt active listening was just being silent right yeah so my thought was of course i'm a great listener because everyone talks to me <laughs> yeah 
I came to Sam's and what I then understood after a few years is, no, I knew how to be quiet and let the other person speak. Mm. And I'm only waiting for a chance for them to stop speaking so I can say what it is I want to say. Right. But I haven't actually listened to anything that they said. Yeah. Not to any real depth. I haven't heard what they are saying underneath their words and Mm. I haven't heard what they are not saying. Yeah. Right. And I think you're going to say that eventually, but... What would you say is the difference between uh, those two versions of listening that you've described? The Firstly, the active listening and the one in which you're, you're listening and waiting to speak. One is being a white belt. Right. Yeah. And this is where you're, your karate comes in. Yeah, as well. this, is, this is one is being a white belt where you're at the beginner level. Yeah. And you've learned to kick and punch and you feel like you know it all. Right. Yeah. Because you know something. Yeah. Yeah. You now know something. Yeah. The other one is moving through the belts and stages mm-hmm. and then you finally get to black belts and you realize I've only just started my journey. Right. Yeah. That's where the real work starts. Mm-hmm. And and that's exactly how it is. As you go along, you don't know what you don't know until you get to the point that you now realize. How little you knew back then. How little <laughs> you knew back then. Yeah. Yeah. And if we think about the, even with your analogy or your metaphor around the the white belt and the black belt mm. um, and everything else in between. How, what are some of the traits that you, you, you may notice in someone that is a black belt in, in active listening um, as opposed to someone who's a, who's a white belt? And what are some of the differences that, that you may notice? Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that analogy just for a short space. The white belt rushes in into a fight and they get knocked <laughs> down, right? Are yeah. we are we still talking about active listening? <laughs> yeah. They they just get absolutely they get the floor themselves wiped across the floor. Right. Okay. Right. And that's what happened to me. Okay. I would get into shift. Mm. Yeah felt that i knew everything take some calls and come away saying oh my god i first i was emotionally jarred right yeah and second that i felt completely ill prepared Mm. for certain calls Mm -hmm. yeah that made me feel you know what i need to up my game right i really need to up my game because I, I got to a space there where, okay, I was doing what it is I was ta- I've been taught to do and told what to do. Mm. But, you know, I was stuck. How how could I have? And that questioning came back. I wanted to up my game. I wanted to be able to get into the ring and at the very least not have that person wipe the floor with me. Right. Yeah. And um, I want to explore that a bit more just so that, it's clear to everyone, particularly those who may not be too familiar with uh, what it is to be a Samaritan's listening volunteer. What, what does it feel like to feel ill-prepared at a call, during a call? It wrecks you. Right. Well, I say you. It wrecks me. Um, because, yes, there's the immature, self-centered bit that, you know... It's all about me. Uh, and yet when you're sat in a call, you make a connection with the caller. And to know that 
there's a possibility that there's something that could have been done that would have actually made something easier for that person. Um, but you actually don't know what it is. And I come away and I question myself, what is that thing? What is mm. that thing? And then I go searching for it. And it is that grade of, um, did I did I feel what was underneath those words? Did I feel what was not being said? Mm. Because despite the anonymity that creates some trust, uh, with a caller to, to, to for them to say something. Mm. How could I have made even more of a connection to op to open up even more something that they really wanted to say, but maybe the rapport wasn't quite right for them as yet. How could I how could I do that? Right. You know what will what would the listening look like? Yeah. What would the words sound like? What would what would the connection feel like? Mm. Yeah. So it started with the questions and then I went and I basically, you know, tried to get to black belt level. Got you. Yeah. 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 And so I did a lot of conversations with with Sams who are a lot longer in the tooth than I am. Mm. I went to conferences. I started to educate myself outside of Sams. Yeah. Uh, and started working on things like analogies, mm -hmm. you know started mentoring yeah how do you know when you really know something is when you can pass it on to somebody else yeah so those kinds of things then made me up my game because if i had to teach someone you know these soft skills yeah guess what i had to know what it is i was talking about <laughs> i couldn't just be bluffing my way through it yeah you know yeah um so yeah that's that's where that's where some real real realizations came about my own inadequacies and my gaps mm. and along the way as you learn the soft skills um you also have to process the emotions with it and right. you learn how to i can't hold a space for a caller mm. to allow them to process their emotions if i'm not capable of doing that myself right in order to be able to have a conversation about how to tie shoelaces, I need to be able to do it for myself. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So everything that I am hoping to do for someone else, I had to learn to do it myself. Yeah. First. Mm -hmm. And that that is that is where it came in. So me me learning how to process my emotions in a better way, be healthier emotionally, all those things, self care, etc was where I was then able to do it in a better way for someone else. Yeah, it was, I, I don't feel I'm black belt yet. Okay? Right, right. I, I feel I'm a step closer. And mm -hmm. I think even if I got to a point where I felt I was, I was at black belt level, it would be with the understanding that's only the beginning of that particular journey. Of course, every every belt is, is a stage before the next belt. Exactly. It's, it's never ending, mm -hmm. you know, how can people learn how to do these things? You know, just start where you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having a conversation in a different way, learning how to listen, not the way you've listened before. Mm -hmm. Learning 
questions how you question people yeah. so that the question isn't offensive yeah it doesn't push people away yeah you know but if all you can do for the time being is just hold the space do that and practice it until you become a black belt at it um it's interesting because um you started to touch on a few things that i think i i really appreciated uh about being a samaritan or, or learning how uh how being a Samaritan works, I guess. Um, and in my personal experience, active listening becomes a very conscious investment that you make as a Samaritan. Uh, a number of conversations in, in my life become a lot less about you and a lot more about the person that is, is speaking and mm -hmm. is seeking to be heard by sharing something with you. Um, I've become very comfortable with silence, like you described earlier as well. Um, and you become very aware that if you're quiet, it means you're listening. But you've also touched on how that is not the full story. That's not the full picture. Just Definitely being quiet doesn't not. mean you're just listening. So as a Samaritan, we have tools that we can reference to, like silence, like uh, reflecting, and a range of other things that we know if we're doing some of these things, at least we're, we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, for, for those that aren't aware of those tools, what would you say are some of the more uh, concrete traits that or abilities that someone should be investing in in order to become a better listener? You've already touched on some of them. Yeah. Being more comfortable with silence even awkward silences um okay my my understanding of the things that help healing is processing and a lot of processing internal processing happens in silences yeah the other tools that we we talk about like the reflecting asking questions open questions exploratory questions these things they're tools that aid someone to process um and it, these things take time to learn take time to practice uh take time to get good at you know when do you use each tool at what point in time and that comes back to something that i call using your gut right it only comes with practice and listening to your gut is now the time to come in with a question mm. is now the time to be quiet and just really give that person space to vent to 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 even be quiet themselves mm. because you know the cogs are turning inside don't interrupt that silence while they're actually contemplating this thing this topic that they want to discuss mm. um where do you learn these things I, I say a lot, have more conversations, start where you're at. Right. You know, if you've been having conversations, you may be a mum at home mm -hmm. and you've got, you know, your kids, you know, three-year-old, five-year-old, 10-year-old, whatever age they're at. And the kind of conversations you often have with your kids, if that's who you're exposed to is, you know, clean your room, uh, come to dinner, uh, or whatever the thing is, it's not really a conversation. Yeah, but start where you're at. So yeah. let's have this conversation in a different way. 
what kind of question can I ask my three-year-old that engages them Mm -hmm. in a different way that elicits more of a response than the types of questions I've asked before? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I hold the silence to let them blurt out whatever, whether it makes sense to me or not? Yeah. And the same with the 10-year-old or, you know, your partner or your granny who you usually go and she tells you all about you know the war Mm -hmm. or she tells you all how can i have a different conversation yeah you know where i'm present for the person uh i'm asking a different type of question about a different topic yeah but doing it gently yeah you know not intrusively Mm -hmm. like you know, Granny's always told you about what it was like during wartime, and that's the type of conversation she has. Yeah. You know, so am I now going to ask her about her lovers? You know, just like that. Bram, you know, so who did you sleep with? Uh, mm. Yeah, I imagine uh, Granny may be a bit uncomfortable with <laughs> you know, that question so, coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, it may be change of topic, but how can you get to something uh, that that person may be carrying Mm. but you're doing it gently and gradually right and you know non-judgmentally another thing it's it's i want to explore something that you touched on around having conversations as a way to practice as well and i think about some of the conversations we have on a regular basis i think work is a great example Mm. um because work is where we spend a number of our most mentally active hours yes um and some of the conversations that happen at work a lot of them you're 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 not likely to experience silence in a work conversation for example mm-hmm. um particularly because a lot of work conversations happen in say meetings in which silence usually is not a good thing um but I also think about in the in the in the more sort of uh, everyday work conversations that maybe are outside happen outside of meetings. I think about the "how are you" question, um, and it's something we all hear every day, often with what is expected to be a positive response. So I'm good. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm great. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, I'm fine. And. I remember one of the first conversations I had with you and you asked me, how are you feeling? Um, and I answered with, well, um, I think this this happened and that happened, but I think next time I could. And you stopped me. Um, <laughs> and, and you're like, no, 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 you didn't, you didn't hear what I said. I asked, how are you feeling? And it, it was just, I was just confused i was like i've told you i've told you I'm, why are you asking me the question again um and and yeah i in hindsight i realized that you asked me how i was feeling and then i proceeded to tell you what i was thinking mm-hmm. and look thinking back to your metaphor earlier around head and heart i was talking with my head yeah when you're asking about my heart mm-hmm. and I want to hear from you. What would you say is the difference between uh, describing your thoughts and describing your emotions? You've already said it, Heldini. One is I think mm-hmm. and one is I feel. Right. And that's where, and that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't actually remember 
that conversation but i know is what i do when i'm at sam's yeah yeah and i and i stick my fellow sam's in that awkward situation of getting them to engage with feelings yeah is not something i do necessarily outside of sam's Mm -hmm. and certainly not in that way because you will make people feel uncomfortable people are not accustomed to having that type of conversation yeah uh and it's a learning if you get to that with them Mm -hmm. um there's something i want to throw in there that some people will choose never to get there Mm -hmm. because whatever they're carrying they simply don't want to share with you and not in the environment that you're in in a work environment and the other side to that is this is really nice and fluffy and warm and fuzzy and you know great that we we will have a society that you know everyone says and how are you feeling mm. and the other person you know says you know I'm, I've I've really felt you know a bit constrained today and felt a bit uncomfortable with X Y and Z right you know but here's what it is has happened and you know thank you so much for, for you know, asking yeah. for asking <laughs> yeah yeah. That's that's really idyllic. However, that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with those, if you are having conversations there or attempting to have conversations like that, there needs to be boundaries to make it safe. Mm-hmm. Boundaries for the person. Yeah, because you don't know what's going to come. If that person is not in the right space and for whatever reason, they suddenly want to disclose something. Mm-hmm. And... You know, maybe they're at the point that the straw's broken the camel's back and you ask that question and they suddenly say to you, yeah, I, I've, i you know, today I'm, I'm really struggling because my father died yesterday and my father was my abuser. Mm. Yeah. You, the space that that is happening in is not a safe space. That person isn't held. Um. And it's all come out just like that. They they weren't in a good place and they've just, you know, um, just come out. And then the repercussions of that for them is not great. And on the other side of it, you on the receiving side, you place yourself in, in a situation of vicarious trauma. Hmm. Yeah, because you were not safe to be holding that type of weight. Yeah. And you yourself will need to care for yourself when something like that is put on you. Yeah. So to have that awareness that, yes, we can have more emotive conversations and talk about self-care and, and, and you know, emotional conversation and wholesome conversations. But the reality is there are many people running around with lots of things that they're carrying and mm. it has to be made safe with a lot of boundaries before you start opening up someone or placing yourself in danger mm. by having a conversation that gets there. Yeah. So yes, have more conversations. Yes. Work towards that, but also you need to learn about boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you actually make it safe for something like that to happen? It's, it's highly unlikely that kind of conversation will happen, you know, just after you've walked out of a meeting between walking from this room to the canteen Hmm. it's highly unlikely and yet i have experienced it right yeah um 
so I, I had to learn, you know, how to ask a conversation in a particular kind of environment where you want to find out how they are right. to a deeper level than I'm okay, I'm fine. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want you to tell me. Right. Between the room and the canteen that, you know, I don't know, whatever it is that's happening for you, you know, something really deep and dark, etc. Mm-hmm. That, you know what, I, I can I can do nothing with in this space. Mm. Yeah. And you are now unsafe. And where do I find help with who and what in a workspace? Um Okay, I've lost my trend of thought. That's okay. So, um, we were, we were talking about um, the difference between talking about your feelings and talking about your thoughts. Right. So, sometimes it's really necessary to start with the thoughts mm-hmm. and start with the thoughts as a temperature gauge mm-hmm. of whether or not you can move to feelings. Right. Yeah especially in a, an environment like work mm-hmm. yeah and and maybe all that person can engage with is thoughts mm-hmm. and you've got to be accepting of that right yeah it, it comes back to the the non-judging and accepting of where someone is at where mm-hmm. they are in their journey mm-hmm. you know but if you if and, and especially having an understanding of what type of relationship you want to create with your work colleague right do you actually want to be the unofficial counselor, therapist, mm-hmm. as in everybody knows, oh, let's go to Heldeny mm. uh, because he's a Sam <laughs> and he's going to know how to deal with this stuff because I don't really want to go to a real therapist because then I'll be kooky. Right. Guess what? You will be, you know, like ghost central in, in Ghostbusters. Everyone hone in on you and, and, and suck you dry. Right. You know, it's so. Got you. I, some I, balance. I I want to explore um, something that you touched on just now. So, uh, sort of being goal central, and uh, let's say in the context of work, anyway, uh, mm. f- feeling like you're being sucked dry. Um, sucked dry from what specifically? So, People so coming to yeah, coming if, to have if, emotional yeah, conversations exactly, with you exactly, all the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But even even beyond work, um, one of the things I wanted to understand um, from your personal experience, but also something that you have to sort of share with other people who may not find it as easy. Mm. What is the what is the middle ground between holding a space for for others? Um, whilst simultaneously keeping your space safe, like you said, and particularly with um, your experience, let's say, as someone who is regularly listening and holding a space for other people, hmm. how do you make sure that you you take care of your own mental health along the way as well? What, what are some of the methods or techniques that you've developed over time if you feel comfortable sharing? Mm-hmm. Um observations are again it's a very individual thing mm-hmm. um there's there's no clear-cut answers uh, i can tell you about my observations and experience so okay so at the start when there was 
when I had when I had no knowledge at all about self care, um, what a very early experience that I had was during my sit training, which is the initial Samaritans training before you take any calls, etc. Uh, at the time, the place that I worked at, I used to I had to work late. Right. right. So I had to get permission from my manager to leave work early in order to get to Sam's training in time. Mm. You know, but I would make up the time, whatever. Uh, so I went to the very first module, just the introduction where they play all these nice fluffy videos for you, etc. Nothing, learnt nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. The very next day, and it used to happen on a Wednesday nights. So the Thursday morning, I went into work. And someone was sat at my desk and this person I didn't know. Hmm. Right? And as I approached my desk, the person said, are you Fleur? I said, yes. I thought they were going to pass over some kind of folder or something to me. Yeah. And they burst into tears mm-hmm. and started telling me their whole life story. And I was like, oh, what is going on? Uh, in any case, my man- I spoke to my manager, there's this person. Da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, I sent them to you. What do you mean you sent them to me? Well, you're a Samaritan, aren't you? I was like, what? I'd done one module. <laughs> right, right. Of sit. I knew nothing. And here was this person. And and I made a decision at that point in time not to say to anyone I was a Sam, hmm. including family, friends, etc. Yeah. Because I needed not to be a Sam when I wasn't at Sam's. Yeah. I needed to just be me. I, I, I needed to be immature and, you know, not have to occupy that space, mm-hmm. that thinking, not, I could just do silly stuff. With And the other side of that is when someone knows you're a Sam, they have an expectation and they, enjoy, they judge all, the whole organization by your, your immaturity right <laughs> yeah so if i decided to do something completely stupid and human and imperfect yeah all of a sudden it was like you know you could tell people would be thinking um yeah and you're a sam <laughs> right. you know well no i'm a human being first right mm. and i talk about wearing caps so you wear a cap of being a sibling a brother a sister mm-hmm. you wear a cap of being a parent you mm-hmm. wear a cap of being the role that you wear mm-hmm. at work you wear your sam's cap when you're in that space mm-hmm. and so one of the things i learned is compartmentalizing right yeah so when i'm at sam's i put on my sam's cap and i'm in that role and i hold that space when i'm on the call mm. When I come off the call, I take off the cap and I am me. Mm. And now is when I process my feelings about the call, the caller, um, you know, and I'm allowed to feel what I feel as a human being. Mm. So, you know, something upset me in the call. I, I, I could, I could cry. I could shout. I could scream. I could let it out. Mm. You know, I don't need to be, you know, this perfect person. Mm Because my need to process is more important. And processing takes whatever form it takes. You know, you need to feel the anger. You mm-hmm. need to feel the upset. You need to feel and express it however you feel. So if I need to swear, I swear. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And once I've got through that initial phase where it is what it is and I say it as it is, mm-hmm. then is when after the heart has done the, the vent, mm-hmm. is when the head can come in 
and start analyzing and processing and putting the polishing to it right you know and learn from whatever it is you've experienced and have a, a head understanding of it mm-hmm. okay so there's something about cop- compartmentalizing mm-hmm. there's something about learning how to process mm-hmm. for yourself how it works mm-hmm. you know a lot of it a lot a lot a lot of it has to do with reflection mm-hmm. and learning to reflect mm-hmm in a healthy way not the ruminate ruminating type you know where you just think about the thing over and over and over and over and over again and over and over and and, and right and you're, sort of and, stuck. and you're going to make yourself stop and you stop yeah and then you go to bed and then you wake up at 3 a.m and you think about more and more and more and more and more yeah not that mm-hmm. reflection that is the unhealthy type yeah is learning how to reflect healthily right yeah and using the resources available whether it's your fellow sam you know, your shift leader, all the things, mm-hmm. if it's to do with a core. But then mm-hmm. in life, mm-hmm. this is a transferable skill. Mm-hmm. So when I were in the cap of a sister, mm-hmm. I do all the things that sisters do and are supposed to do, mm-hmm. right? But guess what? Sometimes my brother mm. winds me up. <laughs> do you, you do realize it's being recorded. <laughs> it's fine. The thing is, he knows it. Okay. Okay. So... And if you're a human being, yeah, you will know exactly what it is I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. You could love someone and still not like them at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you know, it doesn't matter who the person is. It it could be a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people have fallouts. People and in actual fact, I don't fall out with him, but it doesn't mean that you know. Sometimes I don't want to just strangle him ever so slowly. <laughs> Yeah. With love, of course. Uh, no, <laughs> with annoyance. You know, whatever the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> or you know, there there are people in my life who I don't. I I want to be in the friend space. I want to be wearing the friend cap. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to be a Sam. Mm-hmm. You know. You know that person has something going on for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you start to have that conversation. But guess what? You're out in the park. And, you know, you're having a cider and some crisps and, you know, and and my thoughts are, you know, I don't really want to do this right now. I don't want to be a Sam and, mm. you know, you become my caller, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm taking a face to face right in the nice, sunny, shiny day, mm-hmm. etc. Right. You asked about finding the balance. Yeah. It's a case by case situation. Yeah. And it's learning how to do that tactfully. So I can, I follow my gut. Mm-hmm. What's my gut saying? Mm-hmm. Is this life and death? Can this be paused? You know, I have a series of questions. Can this be paused? Can this be contained for now? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I do it? Yeah. And guess what? All the skills that you have learned in wrapping up callers mm-hmm. can be applied. To other yeah. parts of your life. To other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Where you tactfully and gently, you know, touch on something mm-hmm. but and make it safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it and it's done with with care, with with love. And you may revisit it in another setting at another time. But for now, here's how it is. Right? And trust me, you get it, you make a lot of mistakes. You get it wrong a lot of the time before you start getting it 
better than it was. Yeah. Well, um, I feel a lot closer to a um, an active listening black belt from our conversation today than I did at the beginning. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Fleur. Uh, I always appreciate any time I have to get wholesome chats with you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Uh, and before I let you go, I have a question that I will ask all of my guests on this podcast. You'll be the first to answer. So you're going to set precedent on this one. Um, the question is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in your life that is worth sharing? And it could be anything, just something that's unique to you that you think is worth sharing today. You're giving me so much performance anxiety. <laughs> I, I do not mean to do that whatsoever. Take your time. It's a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> you joker. Uh, repeat the question. What is the most? So what is the most important lesson you've learned in your life that is worth sharing? So again, this is something that is worth sharing slash you're comfortable sharing because it could be a lesson that you don't want to share, but this is something that you feel is worth sharing. Is something that I keep coming back to. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's possibly two parts to it. One is truth is a matter of perception. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone's reality is their reality. And that's their truth. No matter what my opinion is of the situation or even what you might call hard facts. Yeah. So... That is a a heart lesson rather than a head lesson or a a stomach lesson, a belly lesson. And the other part to that is just because someone has theory about something doesn't mean that they're any good at putting it into practice. And in fact, some even though you can explain something to someone with many real life lessons people have to actually do it themselves they actually have to feel it themselves they have to go through the experience you know so you can tell someone what love is but until they're mature enough brain wise and emotion wise and all these kinds of things to feel the experience for themselves they have no context they understand the theory but they have no context and you can say to someone don't jump off that cliff Mm. you're gonna hurt yourself right so you give all the warnings and they understand the theory yeah and yet they don't understand what the pain is of a broken leg jumping off the cliff so they think yeah i might hurt myself but you know it's okay i'll get over it and so they go and they jump off the cliff because they have to experience it themselves. So, you know, when it comes to things like giving advice, etc., it's our, it's our nature to do that because you want to help the person. And in actual fact, you know, more often than not, you need to sit back and just let the person go and break a leg. You know, let them do <laughs> it and experience it. <laughs> that, is, that is a great lesson to share. Um, I mean, hopefully it won't ever come to the point where you can 
sit back and watch someone jump off a cliff unless it's a bungee jump or, or something where they're perfectly well, safe i'm i'm being you know a, a bit exaggerated <laughs> I know, I know. The, but the, the point the point is there's a lot of things i can understand because I've, i have lived experience of mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. and i can explain it to you mm -hmm. but you actually need to go and get the experience yourself of course yeah 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 i feel like there's another wholesome chat there for another day so again thank you so much for being here today Fleur. i You're appreciate welcome, you taking Holden. the time these chats are always more valuable for me than i imagine they are for you so oh, uh, i like your questions i like that it was it was a productive conversation for you as well hopefully um, but productive is not the right word a wholesome conversation for wholesome you as well. conversation um again thank you so much and hopefully we'll see you again on the podcast peace peace well i hope you enjoyed the first episode of wholesome chats if you have any questions or feedback that you'd like to share you can follow us on twitter at wholesome chats you can follow me on twitter at heldene given that we're a new podcast any feedback that you have will really help us be better these chats can be quite lengthy sometimes going over an hour so if you've made it this far i really appreciate you taking the time and i hope it was worth the trip see you on the next chat